change the trajectory of your mm. life by doing something that you didn't think you'd be good at. Because of the color of my skin, construction was a viable place to, to explore. What we're realizing that we're creating at Emerging Builders is actually what I had, which was, I mean, to put it bluntly, nepotism. That was Yana Gibson and Tate Williams, and this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Welcome back, guys. So we're a fun story. We haven't had a a two-person interview in quite some time, so it's fun to have Yana and Tate with us today. I'll give a quick intro and then let them do the deeper dive because I think their story is going to be better said coming from their mouths than mine. But we've got (laughs) Yana Gibson, who's running the Emerging Builders, Um, so we're going to talk about that. And we've got Tate Williams. And Tate, um, I should probably get both of your exact titles, but Tate is running Co-Build KC. Um, So we'll talk about the distinction between these two, but talk about folks who are up to very meaningful and purposeful um, and awesome work in KC specifically, uh, and we're super pumped and uh, and fortunate to have you guys on the show. So welcome to Guild Stories. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So so jump us in real quick. I mean, if if someone caught you at a a coffee shop or um, in line picking up kids from school, because I know today was day one of dropping kids off at school. Uh-huh. Um, hey. How would you describe what you guys are up to at Co-Build and Emerging Builders? Go, Tate. You always go first. Uh, all right. No, uh, I'll do it, because yeah. you've been talking all morning. Okay. Um, Co-Build, for-profit construction company. Uh, Emerging Builders is a nonprofit pre-apprentice training program, mm. specifically to expose uh, women and black people and other people of color to the construction trades. And it's primarily, we all know, an 81% mm. um, white male dominated field. and uh, 81%? 81%, 81%, yeah. Okay. And so with women in particular, it's about 13%. Mm. Um, but they still face quite a bit of the sexism issues, which we've had to deal with uh, ourselves mm. uh, in a small business setting. So that's kind of what we are in a nutshell. Um, I recruit... Uh, young people, and I'll use the term young lightly, we've had 56-year-olds that came through the program. Um, and then Tate, through Cobill, puts them to work. And so it's training, on the job, real-time, mm. schedule, budget. Um, and then on Fridays, we have um, financial literacy through uh, mm. Chess, Inc. And then we have a therapist that comes in board and does um, essential skills, critical skills, how to deal with folks, how not to cuss at your boss, um, <laughs> how to come to work on time, and and really uh, tackles why you don't come to work on time. So really trying to mm. help change how they think or mm. get into how they think. Um, so that's us in that's a nutshell. You want to add anything? Um, no, that was that was brilliant. Yay! The, yeah, well said. And um, Yana, ha- give us the the context in terms of what the program looks like. So you mentioned that. And then also maybe what the the 
totality of of kind of the impact you've had not not from a financial or monetary perspective but because we need money but in the sense of how many folks are have gone or, or or are going through the program and what does that journey look like okay so we started um the nonprofit got incorporated last may um our first cohort <coughs> excuse me cohort okay. was in june uh, and it started with kids from the school district so we had juniors um, seniors, sophomores uh, from manual technical uh, school with a partnership through Westside Housing. And um, through since then, we've had about 25 folks go through wow. um, mm-hmm. the program. And when I say go through, I'm going to use that lightly as well. S- probably 30, 30% didn't make it for various mm-hmm. reasons, which for us was okay mm-hmm. because it was really to get them out there. Um, I have a really bad habit of saying, oh, I don't like something. Like, I don't like... <laughs> I just cheese. I don't like sour cream. Me either. And so people are like, is it because it's white? I was like, no, it's because of the texture and what it looks like. Um, but I don't like, I've not tried it, right, unless it was by accident. And so what we've attempted to do is to take away that I don't like construction, mm. but you've never tried construction, so you don't know. And to explain that there are many facets to it. It's not just out there digging dirt. It's plumbing. It's electrical. Mm. It's all of those things. Um mm. And so we've had uh, young people say, you know what, I don't work when it's 105 degrees outside. I understand that. And we have some that say, you know, I don't work when it's five degrees outside. And so they didn't last, but they could make a healthy decision about why construction wasn't for them. Um, It started off, I think, with Tate thinking, you know, it'll be a year, two years that we have folks on. We're trying to get them to a place. Mm -hmm. And, And through the year's time, we've tried various formats and, I think we've come up with what we have now is a 10-week uh, pre-apprenticeship mode, 10 weeks mm. of on-the-job training, eight weeks of financial literacy, eight weeks of the therapy, uh, and then getting hands-on um, classroom time where you kind of learn the tools before you go out there and mess up the tools, um, uh, how not to tear up equipment, how not to tear up sheetrock or cut stuff up wrong. And so can you that come became, teach our 11 year old son that, that mm-hmm. skill? So <laughs> I'm going to defer that to Tate because <laughs> what I don't do, Justin, is on the site stuff except for photo ops. Nice. So I just let him know I'm coming for pictures and to say hello. Um, so, yeah, it, and, and it's been very interesting because, mm. um, again, people come with the thought it, that, that they can't do it. Uh, and I think for me, the best part is when, a 56-year-old woman is crying because her 10 weeks is over because she f- she knew, she figured out how to help put a fence together wow. for business, and she's never been empowered to do something of that sort. And mm. my, my middle child is actually in the program, mm. and she's 30, and um, when I tell you she's probably been the bane of our existence in this program, <laughs> love her to pieces, but just this kid who's always been ex- incredibly strong, mentally great leader I've always said that but just struggle with stuff like put the phone up that kind of mm. stuff and so mm. as a kid she was always the one that we could I could say do this and she mm. figured out and mm. so she went through home health aid she did janitorial work she was a mm. sub at a school um and then at the end she was like okay I need something different so I was like well come try it and when I tell you she's blossomed and just this morning she was like I found my niche. I found my thing. Dang. And so she's she's learning to be an electrician. And uh, I'm excited about that so she can rewire my whole house. But also <laughs> the income that she'll bring in, it changes the life oh, for totally. my grandkids and for her. And so that's probably, for me, 
huge because it's like you change the trajectory of your mm. life by doing something that you didn't think you'd be good at, something totally, uh, when she comes home, she'll come by the house and she's totally exhausted, but she's exhausted with this huge smile on her face uh, and feeling like she's helping to change the world. And so um, that's kind of, for me, the, the big deal. It's like that kid um, that doesn't know. And then a year later, I mean, we have another story a year later, this homeless 18-year-old mm-hmm. who uh, just went through stuff day one and this is probably gonna be my story until i leave emerging builders she Mm. came in and she's like i i don't want to work with you people i don't like it and i don't want you know and i'm like well go home right and so tate is like let me talk to her (laughs) i'm thinking to myself you could talk to her all day tate um because i don't want to (laughs) i'm done right because so i'm walking towards tate and my eyes are crossed and i'm looking like she needs to get out of here and so we take a break and then we come back and tate goes oh she's staying and i'm like yay (laughs) Right. <laughs> um, a year later, this kid has uh, her own apartment. Mm-hmm. She graduated from high school mm-hmm. um, and she's still like struggling, but she's made so much progress and she's had so much trauma in her life. But every mm-hmm. day and I tell her, you still get up and you still push because some of us as adults, we don't function well at that, you know. And so it's that kind of stuff um, that makes an extreme difference for me when I go home. I'm overwhelmed with paper right work like oh gosh gotta get payroll done oh we got to get this piece out and tell you i screw this up again that kind of (laughs) stuff um but seeing them uh, is huge and right now we have three women black females uh 18 to 36 that Mm -hmm. are uh, currently emerging builders and when i say they've all found their thing Mm -hmm. uh it's been huge for us man that's powerful I, i get chills Thinking about that, man. It's awesome. Yeah. We're going to add something. Yeah. The, you know, originally the concept of emerging builders was, you know, this idea that there was a lack of a a safe place um, for young people um, to feel uh, like construction could be a thing for them. Um, Like construction could be a viable thing. space for them. Um, and a lot of that came out of just my own experience of, you know, a lot of my life, my dad was a builder. Um, so I was raised in the industry and a lot of my life has actually been about getting out of construction. Um, for you or for, for, for yeah, me? Yeah. Cause you um, saw, yeah. Cause dead, I saw it was yeah. kind of like, yeah, this is kind of yeah. like, yeah. you know, sort of dead end. This, yeah. this isn't this hard. Know. It's yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, when we started, it was this idea of how, how do we create that kind of cultural space where people can feel like construction is attractive and mm. um, a place for them to, you know, to find meaning. And to be honest with you, I think we've shed some of that over this last year. Because um, what I'm realizing is that that may have been my unique struggle. Mm. Um that's not the challenge facing uh, women and black folks. Mm. There's a real, there is a legitimate understanding that there's a real viable opportunity mm. inside of this industry. We haven't had to try to convince anybody mm. who's come to us that you no know, construction is a great way to make money. What we've realized, what I've realized, is that because of the color of my skin, 
because of the color of my dad's skin, construction was a viable place to, um, to explore. Um, and what we're realizing that we're creating at Emerging Builders is actually what I had, which was, I mean, to put it bluntly, nepotism. There's a, there's a familial, my dad brought me in. There was no, there was no like, um, risk of me getting fired mm-hmm. when I made those mistakes mm-hmm. as I was learning because it was dad's company. Mm-hmm. So dad's going to shelter me. And I'm realizing so many of my peers, it was dad, maybe dad wasn't in this tree, but it was dad's buddy who was running the company. Mm-hmm. So that was the shelter that they were able to make their mistakes and learn and kind of work their way up into their craft. Um, uncle, cousin, brother, um, dad's buddy, you know, that's, that's how the industry has built itself. And part of the reason why the industry is kind of entrenched in honestly, kind of like (laughs) antiquated ways of doing things is because, well, dad didn't do it that way, you know, but that's another story. And so what I'm realizing about emerging builders is, Mm. you know, kind of the thing that I actually didn't want to begin, um, you know, having, I I spent before emerging builders and co-build, I spent time in the nonprofit space and um, been in churches my whole life. And I've watched the ways in which the language of like family can become abusive um, when it's kind of misapplied mm-hmm. um, inside of organizations and systems. So I was kind of really resistant to that idea. But now these days we're, we're watching emerging builders talk e- about each other as family and talk about this thing as family. And I'm realizing like there's a power there because I had family to get me into the industry. Um, when you don't have generational family to get you into a place, a system and organization can actually develop those attributes, you know, um, for you. And so that's been really surprising for me to see, like, it's not so much about creating a culture, although there is that it's about becoming family in a, in a way and kind of providing that protection that so many, you know, of the white men who make up the industry had as they got into it. Also support. I would say the Mm -hmm. support is a huge thing. There's a protection, certainly. And I see that now. And Tate has such a way of seeing things. It opens (laughs) my eyes up to stuff. And it's like, (laughs) oh, I never thought about it like that. But I think that's that's very true for um, even the, the, the young people or the people they get out of the program, they call me, you know, and they're like, um, can I come back? And I'm like, no, it's a 10 week program. You know what I mean? Like, can we help you do something else? Um, but it's still the, or just, you know, coming by the house, sitting on the porch, just connecting with what's happening. Uh, and so I think one of the things that we established at the very beginning, um, Ariane, uh, was a social worker that started, uh, emerging builders with us. And she was very keen, um, on helping them navigate, stuff you know because we all have it so um she set the tone for that so for me it's natural as a mom and a grandma to help my kids get through but to see a 56 year old woman call me mom I'm like well I'm old but I'm not that old but um but just to recognize that the needs that she has she didn't get them filled when she was a kid and so she sees this source now that helps me stay calm that I can talk through things and they help me resolve issues um, and I haven't had that. And so I think a lot of that, um, 
We said, so like, I'm mom and that's Paul right there. Mm, that's um, dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say that. No, but Tate, Tate provides a, um, just a sense of calm and, and, mm. and helping mm. provide resolution to stuff, right? Because we all see things through our lens. This is how I was raised. This is how I do it. And so even for me, uh, and I'm 15 years older than Tate, when Tate talks about uh, certain things in my work experience of, 30 years, I still am like, huh, I hadn't thought about that way, or it's never been presented that way. So mm. I'm learning every day mm. from him, uh, and I pass it on to my children and to the folks that's in the program. Mm. That's so powerful. I, I think the the your willingness even to acknowledge and be aware of like, oh, man, like I didn't consider his view. I didn't consider that. The way he presented that was helpful and interesting. Yeah. And, and, and maybe now more than ever, right, we've – it seems like it's not true, but it seems like the dominant theme is like, I will shout at you. You will not hear me and you will shout back. Everything is so damn divisive Yeah, that the way, sorry, I just hit my book. I'll keep my hands in my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think you two have in, in, you've exuded this like mutual, respect and admiration and awareness and, and compassion and like, huh, interesting. I didn't think, and right. Like that's it, that, that plays in marriage and kids and work, co-work, co-working environments and everything else. But like the, the ways that you guys are even communicating in this moment is like, Holy crap. Like America needs more, please. <laughs> like we need more of this. We can package that for them. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I will, I will state this, that I think the, a, a aspect, well, first and foremost, the, ma- the major contributor to the health of our, of our relationship and our communication internally is Yana's leadership mm. um, and is her, her experiences. You know, she's had to navigate her entire life the, the triple burdens of being a black American, you know, a, a female, and then, you know, being in an executive capacity mm. in predominantly white spaces. Um, and so, you know, she comes with a wealth of, this is not her language, but there are other individuals that I know who, who talk about having to play the game to survive, you know? Mm. So mm. you've played the game your entire career, um, you know, uh, and, and the game being um, the anti-racism or the, the, the anti-white supremacy game you know, that black Americans have to play in the United States. And so I think that's the major, you know, first component is, um, you know, her willingness to kind of continue to venture into spaces where she is continually marginalized Mm -hmm. um, and yet continue to kind of endure in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And she can unpack the, the internal motivations as to why she, you know, why she continues to like put herself at risk um, abuse in these ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why do I continue to be abused? Yeah. <laughs> but the other, <laughs> the other aspects, apparently we have another conversation to have after this. <laughs> um, uh, bringing it home for you. <laughs> Could we have talked about that in the car before? <laughs> got, no. Uh, the, uh, the other aspect I would say is that I've been on a personal journey for about a decade mm. of um, self, self learning, others helping me learn, 
um, friends, coworkers challenging how I think about things. Um, and then, you know, as I've, as I've kind of, you know, prior to doing this, I was in a nonprofit space, as I mentioned, specifically with at-risk families. As I began to understand kind of the, the landscape and the narrative of race and racism in the United States, I began to do the very difficult and confusing work of unpacking white supremacy and white privilege and the lenses through which I view and operate. Um, And so I would say... such a subconscious autopilot level. Exactly. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and it's still still present, you know, in me. And I think it's just really coming to that realization, Mm -hmm. you know, and ultimately, like, um, you know, I don't want to offend any of your listeners, but, you know, I'm, I'm a person of faith. And, you know, ultimately for me, it came, it was, it came down to this reality that racism is a sin. Um, this is my personal uh, perspective. And so again, no, no offense you're to anybody good. else, you're good. Go, man. but, um, and my, my faith teaches me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and that it is okay to acknowledge that sin and that failure. And it is not a permanent, it is not a, it is not a, the defining issue right. of my salvation or my identity. So I, I actually don't have to be afraid of acknowledging mm. the, the biases and the racism that lives within me and that I inherited. Um, but, you know, so, so stop wasting my time trying to like, claim that I'm not those things and start doing the hard work of saying I am those things. Let me, let me do the work of figuring out how to stop doing that so frequently. Mm. Um, and to find my hope that Jesus saves racists, you know, um, like me. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, for, for my invitation to your listeners is uh, as a white man, um, it is okay to acknowledge that. Like, it's absolutely okay. All your, your black friends and peers and coworkers already know it. <laughs> so it's not like it's news to them. Um, so you're not well going to be, yeah, you're not going to be offensive by acknowledging like your, your inherent stuff. You will offend your white peers, your white family, you know, in that process. And so be prepared for that. But I think that, you know, the personal work of that white people need to do is, is the thing that sustains relationships. Mm-hmm. I think black folks coming to the table and saying we're willing to be abused in this setting again is, is enormous and generous and kind. But I think the sustaining force has to be the white folks being willing to, to do the self hard work um, that, that comes in that process. If someone's sitting here listening going, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Um, you've said probably six times, I picked it up, that they need to do the work. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, does um, that make sense? And you yeah, don't have yeah. to get super practical and formulaic. I'm, I, I, I'm curious if people are like, cool, awesome. Like, what's that mean? What work yeah. did you do, Tate? Yeah, so <laughs> it starts with reading and listening. Um, there is a, a, a wealth of information out there. I think it, it's, it's the acknowledgement that um, our country has not actually given us a full picture of our own history. Um, and I think, so, so there's homework, mm-hmm. like 
practical homework um, that white folks have to do. Um, and so, but, but believe me, there's all sorts of tools for different learning styles. There's podcasts, if you're listening. We like those. You understand those. All <laughs> right. Um, there are audiobooks. There are great documentaries. Mm. Um, you know, there's Google. Um, there's all these tools that we have at our disposal to actually do the homework that we weren't taught in, you know, in school and high school and college. Um, unless you were actually proximate as a white person to the black community, um, you've missed a lot of the actual history of our country um, and a real understanding of it. So I think that's, that's one practical step is when I say do the work, that's, that's the homework. Yeah. The bigger work is the internal work um, of actually, um, because you, ha you have to understand that there's, um, there's real fear at the root of the hard questions you're going to have to ask and answer. Um, because the fear that sits below the surface of these questions is, um, what is this going to cost me? Um, and I've watched it come up in people's eyes. I mean, uh, not to, not to throw crazy terms out there, but like, um, I, I hear, uh, a lot of fear when the term of like reparations come up. Um, I hear a lot of, and, and, and typically it's older white men mm. where I see most of this fear. There's this actual legitimate fear of a loss of power, a loss of wealth. Um, and, um, and it's a, this deeply seated internal thing. Sure it is. Um, that is not rooted in reality, <clears throat> which is, which, which is something that has to be acknowledged is this, um, you know, there's this real internal voice um, that's kind of preventing us from answering the questions of what is the cost of acknowledging the position that I have and w versus the position of my, my peer. Um, when I acknowledge that, what, you know, and I, and I engage that cost, what's that going to, what's that going to take? to actually be true to myself when I see, okay, there's a disproportionate here. There's this disproportionate reality. I inherited something. Um, how do I, um, how do I share that? Um, and so for me, again, I, I mean, I hate to throw the Bible at people, but like for me, this is rooted in, you know, two texts in particular. One is James chapter five, where the author of James is writing to this group of Christians and he challenges them and he says, uh, very, it's very harsh language, so I'm, I'm not going to quote it all directly, <laughs> but just read James chapter 5. This is a very harsh challenge to wealthy Christians specifically. It says, weep you rich because you're going to be held accountable. And there's this very specific verse that says you're going to be held accountable to the wages that you held back mm -hmm. from the laborers in your field. It's a very, very specific text. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you look historically about where we're at in our country and where Christians are at in our country, we have to acknowledge that text and say, have we inherited positions, power, privilege off of held back wages of laborers in our fields? You know, um, so wow. that's one. And then the, the second one is um, the, the story of the encounter between Jesus and the rich ruler. Um, and some of you may be familiar with it, but it's, it's this uh, narrative where this really good guy who's very wealthy 
approaches Jesus and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, do all these things, um, follow the law. And he's like, dude, I'm doing, I'm knocking that out. I'm crushing that, you know? And then Jesus says, sell everything, give it to the poor and come follow me. And, and the phrase is, and he, he left like dejected, um, cause he was very wealthy. And then the, the next verse is Jesus saying, hey, it's going to be harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This very kind of historically famous text. What I was challenged with was, as I was reading that and kind of trying to wrestle with this understanding of inherited wealth and inherited privilege, um, even though maybe personally I'm not wealthy, but by privilege I, I have access, um, I was struck by what if Jesus didn't want that guy to be poor? What if Jesus needed that guy to move to a different city and become even richer um, because of his access, because of his heritage, because of who he was, who his dad was? What if he needed that guy to just be disassociated from that place, dislodged and placed elsewhere to use his tools um, for a greater kingdom purpose. We're not told that, you know, but we assume, I assumed growing up that Jesus was asking that guy to become poor. Mm. And I think that guy assumed it too. Sure he did. He was terrified of that. Right. Yeah. But I think Jesus was simply saying divest of these assets because there's greater assets that I need you to leverage elsewhere. Like what if he was saying, I need you to move to Rome where you're going to triple your revenues you know, and you're going to allocate them out to the growth of the church globally. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know. All we know is that Jesus laid down the gauntlet and this guy said, ah, I got to hold on. So that's mm-hmm. the fear. That's mm-hmm. the fear is we're being offered riches in different ways than we think that we, we, mm-hmm. um, can gain them. Um, and so we sacrifice growth, maturity, learning and the journey of being a disciple of Jesus when we're confronted with this fear of this deep abiding fear of letting go of power, privilege, wealth for the sake of this equality conversation. When we're confronted with that, we shrink back and we say, we have too much. There's too much to let go of. Um, But all along, Jesus could be inviting us to something much richer, greater, truer. He is, we know that, but we, we falter at the practicality of it. And I think the rich young ruler faltered there. Um, and I think that's the, the point of fear and trepidation that white Americans have to confront. So that's that internal work point. Um, it's well said, man. It's well said. And I'm thankful you'd, you'd take the time to go there and be vulnerable and share that. Um, what's interesting, and then I want to shift real quick to, to Yana's response, because not, she's not going to forget that comment she made. 10 minutes ago. Um, but the, the, the assumption to continue your story, the assumption is also in that command or that really, I would say more of an invitation than a command Mm -hmm. in that invitation to go sell it all. The assumption is that that person, that example, Jesus, um, doesn't want the rich young ruler's best. He, he's out to get him too. He's out to trick him mm. or be bad to him or to hold him back. Mm. And, and I think, I think, and this is, this is also a different conversation. I think, um, 
not all, most, some, at least for me, some church experiences have not ever said this, but you walk away from that text and you hear, Jesus doesn't really want your best. He's he's not really for you. He's not really that good. He's not really that trustworthy. Like, you better, yeah, don't be like either. <laughs> it's, I, I think that um, um, misunderstanding of the intent and the heart of the person asking is mm-hmm. also like a big, a big, um, as you shared that story, I was like, yeah, man, like, we, we are afraid because we think we have to hoard it and control it mm. and be our own little kingdom owner yep. <laughs> and, and not say, no, like the, the actual owner is really generous and awesome and loving and kind and wants equality and wants goodness. And ev- like, he doesn't want our scarcity and our right. fear. Right. Um, so anyway, That's good. Yannick, what's going on for you as, as, as Tate's unpacking all that? Um. He said a word a, a couple of minutes ago frequently in terms of, um, I think he was talking, uh, for me, what it hit for me, the chord it struck for me, is that as a black person, um, to me, I think there's a, a misconception where people think um, because we haven't had the opportunity that, that we, we just want what you have. You know, mm. I, the other thing that came to mind for me was, and I was thinking in my mind, fun, like, yeah, I want my 40 acres and a mule. Mm. Um, but mm. it's it's not, we, we want the opportunity to have the access to it. Mm. You know what I mean? We're not, and I'm going to say we in a very general, broad sense, um, we've worked hard. You know, we've helped build America. Um, we continue to see the disparities when you talk about you know, not just police brutality, but even um, as the, the director of Habitat for Humanity, I had a whiteboard that questioned the legitimacy of my degree. Um, like, like out loud to you? Like to me, like I had I had to go show it to him. Oh, come on. Right? And so, but, but even back then, Habitat was historically a, a white organization, especially led internationally. So going to my first conference in Chicago, uh, out of... 500 leaders, there were maybe four African-Americans. And so it was, and, and so it's, it's real, it's there, it's true. Um, the other thing that with, with Habitat, the thing that I learned about people, when I went on the job site, volunteers would say, oh, are you the homeowner? Mm-hmm. Um, just automatically assuming because I'm a black female that I was. And, and my staff, my team was, would get irate mm. you know they would just go she's a director and it'd <laughs> be like boss, you up. know it's for me but it was an opportunity to teach and mm. to help them understand that the the view that you have mm. of black people um poor people because it's not just all black but poor people um is through a lens that and 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 an unwillingness for you to come and get to know Mm. me or someone so we always had those that um would come volunteer because it was a free work day you got to get off and that kind of thing and you really never really want to understand why habitat exists it was like i'm coming to help those people mm. but then you also had those that would come and say let me talk to them let me understand them let me get to know them and so their heart was um you know very similar to what what tate was saying and that was probably my saving grace at habitat those few that had a genuine regard for the people that we served, understanding that 
we have a lot. And I've always felt like I've never felt like I've um, not had enough. You know, like people talk about growing up poor. I probably did, right? But that wasn't my, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? And so we had love. We had family. uh, Those things that we discount now. So when I look at Tate, I see this opportunity. This, this I call him a kid, um, <laughs> and 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 just this heart that he has, um, that's healing for me, mm. because I have uh, I had a huge distrust of white people because they've never shown me, you know, um, that they're trustworthy and that they care about me as an individual. And so um, when I first when we connected, reconnected just sitting in this coffee shop and I'm listening to this vision that he has. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that this, and he's so up in your face, exu- <laughs> you know, he's exuberant. He's like, and, and the big know, manly beard, you know what I mean? Right. Um, he cut it off one day, Justin. And I was like, boy, you look like a kid. Um, so the beard helps you become a man. Too. But, um, you know, the, the conversations that we're having now, uh, the dialogue, very uncomfortable you know, for not just white people, for us, too, because we have our own set of issues, this distrust and wanting to, the fear, mm-hmm. right, and, and trusting uh, that what Tate says, that he has my best interest at heart, um, that's scary, mm-hmm. right, especially when I think about a kid that has this power, but I tell him, I was like, you know what, I mm-hmm. am totally amazed that you have not pulled out one License, you've not pulled out one anything to validate that you are a good contractor. He's not had to prove anything. Mm-hmm. Tate called the uh, president of a construction company mm. and said, Can we talk? And the guy was like, Yeah. He sat and talked to him for like two and a half hours. I wouldn't have had that access. Mm. And so the thing that I appreciate, I don't know if I ever told you this, I'm telling you now, <laughs> is that whatever meeting Tate has, he always provides a seat for me at the table mm. every single time. Now, whether I come all the time, because sometimes I don't want to meet the people <laughs> and I need a nap, but it's always there. And it's always, this is my partner. This is, this is Yana and Yana's going to tell you, you know, and so for me, that's so important because not only does it show this dynamic relationship, but it also models for my grandkids mm. that all white people aren't evil that there are some good people in the world. You know, two of them now yeah. want to do construction because they, you know, no Tate. So um, there's just so much positive that can happen uh, from both. It's, it's all sides. It's not just white people. And I tell Tate, of you know, I, I get it. I really do understand. But we have our own set of issues mm. that we need to reconcile and we need to work through to be the best people that we can be. Mm-hmm. And what you provide is opportunity and access. Mm. Uh, and for that, I'm grateful. And so as I consider emerging builders and the tool that we've created mm. to be able to move families forward, it's that opportunity and the access that his privilege. So I'm like, don't be apologetic for it. You're using it for good. Mm. And because you're doing that, then I applaud you. And, mm. and I'm here with you uh, through the end. Man, you, you um, you've, you, even your comments have kind of touched me and made me connect to like the ways that um i've struggled to even know like man, what's the do i apologize for the privilege do i feel bad about the privilege do i feel like an idiot because i can get to a ceo and go have a conversation and a cup of coffee um 
and and the way you just explained that is like it is it's a healing um salve right Right. it's just this 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 moment of like no it's about you being seen and heard and understood Mm -hmm. and the work like i want to come back to that your comment of like the trust piece like Hmm. how did that practically get built how did the trust between the two of you get built it probably wasn't him being like amazing and winsome and That's exactly it, and being (laughs) 6'4 or something. No, I think um, it's just the ability to talk through whatever, Mm. right, and to challenge each other's thinking. You know, um, I I did not sleep well the other night, and so I woke up at 1.30, and I'm texting Tate because I'm like, he's like, well, I hope my stressors haven't passed on to you where you're Mm. not sleeping. So I was like, no, it's not that. But when I woke up, I was conscious of, okay, what is on your mind? And so I write this long text to Tate um, just about the things that are weighing on me. And um, at the end, I said, thank you for trusting me with co-building emerging builders because I appreciate that. But so he texts me back, good stuff. I'll text you my responses later. But he didn't, right? What he did immediately was started. He, he started dealing with the stuff that I said. So mm. one suggestion was about materials. He sent a text out immediately to the other team. And so it was like for me, oh, he's, he's, he hears what I'm saying and mm. where it's coming from. You know, not to say, okay, you don't know what you're doing. And, you, you know, it's mm. like this is, this is as we're growing, it's having those hard conversations and it's trusting each other enough to say he's not going to hurt me he's going to hear what i have to say and then tate says well you know i'll push back when i feel like and i'm like he and he will and so likewise it's like i hear you okay but let's let's look at it from this viewpoint and Mm. so the trust is hard conversations Mm. uh, a transparency and an openness and um a willingness from both of us i think that we're going to make this work and it gets scary Uh you know it gets scary and being able to say that you're afraid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just saying, okay, but it's God's provided, right? He's He's never failed us yet, right? Right. And so just standing on that, even when, you know, faith is just a little shaken, mm-hmm. but it's like <laughs> he's never failed us yet. And so it's my partner. That's yeah. Awesome. And Abby. Yeah. 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 And I would just say that, um, you know, I think that, again, it was a lot of the learning that I did even before we started working together that sort of laid a, a groundwork. There's this, there's a book, um, I'm going to butcher the title right now. One of my friends, uh, Michael Rose Emerson, suggested it to me. Um, it's called, uh, um, dang it, I'm butchering the title. No, but it's good. essentially, it's, it's, a, uh, um, it's about the burden Specifically, that it, it's a book written by a uh, psychologist, a black uh, woman, to her pastor. Wow! And it's about the burden that black women have to carry, both with inside of the religious context, but then also, oh. this book um, is written to, you know, sort of reveal the the layers of complexity that black women have to navigate. Um, so, as a white person who's learning about inequality, I'm now also seeing inside of the general 
black, white, inside of the black community, there's also a layering of complexity. Sexism is still prevalent sure. inside of that space. So that book helped tremendously for me to understand the various um, intersectionality of challenges facing women in leadership, um, especially black women in leadership. And so um, yeah. headed into this conversation, I, I had an awareness of that, um, headed into our, our partnership. Um, but then over time, watching it play out and, and being willing to observe myself so that she didn't have to like come to me and say, hey, remember that meeting that we had? Did you see how he talked to you instead of me? I could actually come to her and say, hey, I observed this happening. Mm. Um, and that's not okay, and, mm. and we need to address that. Now, I'm not saying I do that perfectly by any means, but mm. um, so she often has to help me see not just with with her dynamics, but also as we bring women into this space, mm. the dynamics that play out on the job sites and um, and in meeting settings and, and so on and so forth. So I think that was a, a, a big thing. Um, but then practically, um, I will say this, um, I struggle with, uh, with fear rooted in my own upbringing around a lack of, of resources, a lack of money, um, mm. really. So, so I have profound anxiety Me too, bro. around <laughs> money. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm seeing a therapist who's helping unpack some of this stuff, and it's rooted in early childhood, like the fear that I carried f knowing and not knowing what my parents were dealing with, but knowing enough to like fear like, ah, this could all fall apart. Dude, um, yes. And so today, that's, that manifests itself for me in like a physical reaction. I become very stressed. I do lose sleep. I become very anxious when the money gets tight. Yana, um, who, who also has to navigate these realities, um, has been navigating them much longer than I have. Um, and has been just a, such a voice of, of reason and logic to help me see past and work through those, those anxious and, and anxiety ridden weeks and months. Um, and to see the practical way through um, that stuff. And so for all the good things that she says about what I bring to the table, like it, that is one thing, one of many, many things, but, but one very clear thing for me is the steadiness of an executive who's navigated very challenging financial situations to then bring a sense of peace and calm mm. to my anxieties, you know, um, as I'm freaking out about this, what seems like ever increasing, um, you know, budget. Um, and so, um, yeah, just to put that in perspective for you, I mean, we, so in 2018, um, we were just forming the business. 2019 was our first year of business. We did 500,000 in revenue. Mm. Um, this year, even with COVID, um, we're probably going to be at about 1.8. Um, and then we've already got clients committed to just over $3 million worth of work in 2021. Good night. Um, and so that that's co-builds growth. Mm -hmm. Emerging builders is a separate category. You know, mm -hmm. we started with nine apprentices and we're now at, you know, we've had 25, you know, through the program. And so, you know, they have their own budget and their own trajectory of growth. You know, so so there's some real significant like scaling that we're having to figure out 
and and it would be impossible without Yana at the table. Um, absolutely impossible. <laughs> when when um, can we come back to the to the anxious? I think anybody and, and maybe well, I'll just say it this way. For me, I'm like, whoa, that's like hearing my own inner thoughts, right? Like the the panicked one a.m., twelve thirty a.m., five a.m. Those I think fear gets amplified in the night for whatever reason. Mm. And uh, when we're when we're when we're tired and all those things, um, but as as we're growing our agency, we're feeling the same thing of like, oh man, <laughs> like what's what's going on and how does this work? And if we lose a client or if this staff member isn't the right fit, like and, and it's terrifying. Yeah, which is irrational, really. Right. And I'm curious what in, in those moments when Tate is an anxious mess, what do you say? How do you like come alongside him in those moments and be practically helpful? I think the the first thing is because I, I want some. Well, I just <laughs> I just remind him one. This is still a new organization, Tate. This is a year and a half, and we were just talking about that on the way up here. And I was like, you know, what I've always been taught or heard is that most businesses, um, the first three years are loss, um, and some don't survive the first year. And it's like we we have we've made it. We're in our second year. And business continues to grow. Uh, and the challenges that we're having are mostly growing pains. But a lot of it is just, Tate, we're new. Mm. You know, we're, we're going to struggle. But really, it goes to God has not failed us yet. He just hasn't. And when we talk like Friday's payday, right, this is not the first time we've got the payday or very close to it. And Feels like it every time. You know, and like the, the, the night before that God doesn't just go boom. You know, uh, and so it's, it's, you know, I was thinking about listening to both of you say, you know, what you experienced specifically you take growing up uh, and this awareness that um, things could fall apart at any time. I've never felt that as a kid. Mm. I really didn't. I, I just, I, I trusted that my mom and she raised me and uh, two siblings uh, as a single mom. I just trusted that. It wasn't right, and so we went to my grandmother's house, and and um, but I, I never worried about that as a parent. And after my divorce, I started thinking more of, you know, making sure that you know my kids have everything. But I still, I live frugally, and and again, I always had a, a salary that I didn't struggle, so it never crossed my mind. It's when I met him. And started partnering with him that this anxiety comes yes. <laughs> that I've never had in my life. And, and no, it's not the worst. true. You know, but just uh, I just remember there are specific instances in my life that God provided. And so that is really what I stand on. And Habitat, payday was the next day. I remember the group that came to volunteer. It was Assurant. And um, the CEO was volunteering that day. And at lunch, I would always go in and say, how you doing? Sit down and have lunch with them. And as we're sitting there, he goes, oh, I have something for you. My payroll was $22,000, very similar to what ours is now. And this man pulls out a check for $25,000. And, and And I, I teared up. And all I could think of was, God, you are so awesome. Mm -hmm. You certainly provide. And so with that and just the different things, you know, when I was married, not having money and the baby needed milk and finding just enough money to get a can of milk. He's been faithful. Right. And so when I think about this, this is nothing to him. You know what I mean? It's something to us and we get 
over anxious and think about we're supposed to figure it out and we're not. We're supposed to trust him. And so those are the times it's like, Tate, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's faithful. Yeah. Right. And so um then we're trying to help him still, trying to call people, give us the check. You know? Right, right. <laughs> you know? Right, because there's still work to do to yeah. make it to make it happen. Um, another thing, you know, kind of related, you know, Yana kind of steering us back to the our faith and and the why behind mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, but the other night, specifically, one of those nights, mm-hmm. not able to sleep, super anxious. Um, I have the ESV Bible app on my phone, and there's an audio button. Um, so you can click that and it'll just start picking up wherever you're at in, um, you know, so I, I start listening to the Sermon on the Mount in line after line after line, there's this kind of bolstering of my spirit really of mm-hmm. like what I'm doing is in line with this. Mm-hmm. I'm not out of line with Jesus's core operating philosophies. I'm in line, not perfect by any means, but I'm in line, um, and so there was this just this real sense of of clear conscience. Mm. We are doing the right thing. Um, so so then, interestingly, some of the sense of anxiety and fear shifts because now there's a I'm not on the hook mm. for this. He said I have to do this. I'm doing it. Mm. He's on the hook now. Um, you know to make this work. And then that just reminds me of, you know, what Yana said of just like, this is nothing in the grand scheme of things to him. But the process of coming to that point of saying, I'm following you and we're trying to submit, you know, this very complicated concept to you. um, Then it comes back to the rich young ruler. Can I trust this guy? Will he, does he actually have my best interests in mind? Um, And, you know, our, our, for us, the proof is there. He does. He cares about us. He cares about the people we work with and who work with us. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that he gives us, um, a surplus like in the bank account. Um, but the faith will always be there and the money does show up is what I'm learning. (laughs) Give us this day, our daily bread. Right. Right. So that's right. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. Mm. That's right. That's how do we get through today? Right. Um, you guys have been incredibly generous. I, I want to have a three minute conversation. If you're cool with it, before we wrap the practical in, in the, it seems like, <clears throat> excuse me, the growth is evidence of my assumption. 500 K 1.8 K 3 million on the books in August of 2020 for next year. So it's probably going to be more than 3 million in 2021. It, it validates the market opportunity, shifting gears real quick to, like, the actual business piece. Right. Which we could talk for another hour about. Right. Um, but the work you're doing validates. We've got a, a, a client in the commercial real estate space uh, or commercial construction space, and we interviewed one of their um, partners, and he said, hey, for – he said it much better than I will articulate it, but he essentially said, hey, for the last 20 years, we've – neglected the trades Mm. and we've shifted the focus into this like got to go to college or nothing else right Right. like that's the 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 chief thing and and now there's springing up incredible businesses like we talked about josh levin's empowered electric business we've talked about 
Adam Whitmer's construction business. We yep. talked about co-build and emerging leaders or emerging builders. Um, that there is this ripe field for talented, caring, creative construction, physical yep. labor. Um, we've got a plumbing client who has more business than he knows what to do with because he shows up and he smiles and he's careful. He does yep. a great job, great damn job, right? Yep. And, and his name too. Yeah, yeah we will. Dan Gray, Quality Plumbing. <laughs> quick, uh, quick plug for our friends. So anyway, I've taken up the three minutes, but the <laughs> the, the question is like from a true opportunity, and you want to use that word a lot in our conversation, opportunity perspective, um, it's there for you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, you, you tackled that first, but, yeah. but yes, opportunity is certainly there. I think the, us. you know, construction is an, is an essential service. You know, the economy shut down, yet we were one of the one of the industries, except for Austin and um, one other major metropolitan area, San Francisco. Or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a moratorium there, but at, in literally every other market, construction and all of its facets was was deemed essential. So, so it can weather the pandemic, you know, um, which is evidence that, like, it's it's it undergirds our society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fabric of it. Yeah, it yeah, is, sure. but it's not. Um, like you said, it's not. It's been neglected, and that that history goes all the way back. I mean, we could talk about. You know when the major you know uh, you know producers in the country started um, stop they stopped funding lobbyists you know to advocate for educational funding into the public schools for shop class mm. when Ford started outsourcing they stopped lobbying for more money for high schools shop huh. class um, so there's there's actual tangential connections to our economy. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. because it just didn't serve the big producers anymore. Um, and so, you know, shop class is not a thing in most indus- in, in most uh, school districts now. Um, so there is a there is a, a gap there, I think, in the educational standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. From an industry standpoint, we work in low income communities. Um, that's a practical choice that we've made because of practical barriers that our apprentices have, like logistics yeah. and transportation yeah. and, and things of that nature. But it's also part of our, you know, kind of core of we want to work at the intersection of affordable housing and job training because we can we believe that our apprentices can build a sustainable business in their communities as they gain these skills and do it in a way to provide affordable housing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in their community. And so um, so th- our, there's a there's huge opportunity if you're willing to work at the margins that we have to operate at. And that's our struggle is that we, we can't build models based off of margins that our competitors can get who work anywhere because we're choosing to work where we work. We have to compete at the lowest margin Mm -hmm. Um, because who we're competing against inside of our industry is, you know, um, Mm. you know, somebody, you know, just a pickup truck, Joe, you know, kind of roll up and does something Fix just for toilet. cash. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So, so that's a tough market to kind of build sustainable business in first and foremost, but the opportunities are there. There's certain incentives out there, opportunity zones. We have several of our clients that are opportunity zone investors. Um, so there's structures. Um, we're, mm. we're a section three business. So um, we meet HUD's criteria 
um, HUD has certain um, benchmarks that they have to hit for who they hire to do construction work. So we're, we're working our ways into the system and, and the opportunities are there and probably going to be growing based on our current economic state in the low-income housing um, market. So I think um, from that standpoint, there's growth. But I will say this, we are also touching a nerve um, related to um, uh, diversity and inclusion, sure. which are major conversations at the larger construction firms nationally. Mm. J.E. Dunn has a mandate to inc- increase diversity in, um, of their workforce, um, but they don't know how. They don't mm. have some real actual practical steps to get there. Mm. Um, and, and that's just one company of, of, of many that are putting s- these self-mandates, but then there's also federal mandates being placed on these larger corporations um, as well. And so I think that primes emerging builders to be an actual um, real vehicle mm-hmm. um, for partnership, you mm-hmm. know, for these larger corporations. And so I think there's crazy opportunity mm-hmm. ahead of us. Um but it comes through, uh, one of our coaches the other day just said, you, you, there's no way around it. You have to work through the challenges. You can't. I hate that principle. Yeah. Um, it makes so much sense. It's true. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah the, um, our therapist always said, you can't, you can't avoid the pain. You have to go through the pain. I'm mm. like, come on, man. There's got to be, there's there's gotta gotta be, be a better it. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, when I think of opportunity, I think about the people side of it. And that, you know, as Tate alluded to, construction companies, J.E. Dunn being one of many who struggle with being able to hire uh, people of color and women uh, in a sustainable manner. And so what we provide, and and by no means have we gotten there, but that is certainly our goal, is to have people that are trained, that have gone through the hiccups of trying to get to work on time, Mm -hmm. that have a vehicle, that have gone through safety training – have on-the-job work experience, um, so that they can that, that we can give them a pool of qualified yeah. people of color, women that can do your work. Because what we've seen is that they have this. We need this right here, and when you meet this criteria, then they add another layer, mm. and then you keep adding another layer. Um, reminds me of um, a scene where uh, Oprah, maybe the butler, but uh, was trying to vote. And uh, she went, and the guy goes, well, tell me, uh, how many judges are in the county? And she goes, 67. So he goes, um, well, tell me their names, right? And then it's like that feeling for her. The target keeps moving. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so and, and that's, that's what we'll, we'll see. And so Emerging Builders with CoBuild as our partner, because we certainly couldn't do it without CoBuild being at the table saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to doing this with you. Um, we have an opportunity to create and provide opportunity for women and people who just certainly don't think they can. You know, when you look at this crisis we have in in my community with our kids killing each other, there's this sense of hopelessness there that this is an opportunity, right? You don't have to, you can work at McDonald's if you want to, and I don't knock it because I worked at Gates Barbecue. How may I help you? Come on, how may I help you? When I was 15. but it's plate, please. Okay, <laughs> change the beef for turkey, right? But um, the opportunity is here, right? And we just need new partners, continued partnership to open up the doors. Um, and with 
co-build, it's it's been happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? Oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to add just one other Please thing. Do. I know we're running out of no. time, but um, the opportunity that we talk often about, yes, is the access to jobs. So mm-hmm. JE Dunn hiring more people of color is a good thing for what we're doing, but a destination I think that we are really excited about for our our emerging builders, our employees, is access to understanding real estate development. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and access to understanding that they can acquire a house uh, for less than $50,000, put $100,000 into it, and sell that home, um, you know, for for 250-plus. Um, that that is within their grasp, but to not know who to talk to at which bank, to not have the skills totally. to navigate the subcontracts, like all of that stuff, as we expose them to that, you know, one of the greatest wealth resources in America becomes accessible in a practical way. Damn, that's cool. Um, um, and so that's something that we're super excited about as well, um, is that, that, yes, good jobs, but real estate ownership. Yes, that. Um cool. Um, so and how to do it and how to do yeah. it yeah and, and, and the the flip the the like extension of that vision that you guys just art- articulated is dignity is empowerment is optimism is ownership in yeah. in, a, in a like step into the full power of your life ownership and mm-hmm. real estate ownership right right but like that's the cool I get this vibe from y'all of like holy crap man like what what does Casey look like in ten years with you two running crazy in the city right like that that that's a cool that's a cool thing to think of like the impact of what's the gal's 18 year old homeless gal's name like kaya kaya there's there's a hundred kaya's there's a thousand kaya's there's a million kaya's right and like kaya's life is different because y'all took the time to like yep maybe a little cross-eyed and maybe a little mad but like yeah (laughs) but kaya kaya did the work ultimately it wasn't you, you guys didn't save kaya kaya Correct. had to say cool they've given me a chance i gotta yep. step into this chance yep. and go um <laughs> she's so, gonna listen to this right kaya, yeah, i don't know <laughs> kaya, hope so hope so um all right we, we gotta wrap because i could talk about this stuff with y'all all day um but i know you don't have time so we end every show with the same five questions okay. so just first first thing that pops to your mind so in, in theory we're gonna do 10 questions here um <laughs> Well, uh, Yana, will go with you first. What's the last book you read or listened to? Oh, shoot. Um, the Bible. Love it. Tate. I'm uh, reading uh, um, Ibram Kendi's book, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Okay. Yeah. Comes full circle. I like it. <laughs> uh, instantly opens up the Amazon app. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Uh, What would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Oh, shoot. Uh, Go skydiving. Boom. Yep. Oh, man. Um, Should have said get married. (laughs) (laughs) You should. (laughs) You just did. Uh, (laughs) Um, That's awesome. If I wasn't afraid... um, it, it just goes back to, you know, stepping out even further um, than where I'm at, you know, yeah. into this business thing, pushing harder. Yeah, man. Oh. Me, me too. Uh, what's your favorite T-shirt? T-shirt? Mm-hmm. Can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, what's <laughs> on it? It's got a story. You're asking what's on it? Yeah, what like what is your favorite t-shirt? Oh, we all have one. Yeah. Um Oh, my favorite t-shirt is my Emerging Builders t-shirt or my Co-Build t-shirt. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you're so you're so on brand. <laughs> Um, you can go to emergingbuilders.com. I don't know if you can order a T-shirt, but you can put a. You can contact me, and I can get you one. You can contact us on Emerging Builders, emerging hyphen emerging slash builders dot org. You can order a T-shirt there. I would agree. They're great. They're made by GoX. I don't know if y'all know GoX T-shirt manufacturer here in Kansas City, Living Wage Apparel. Oh, cool. Yeah, very cool. I do not know them, but I will now. That's great. What's your favorite place on earth? Sleeping in my bed. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I was going to say great. my house. Um, yeah. Yeah, my house. It's great. I love yeah. it. Uh, all right, heavier one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to, what do you want to be remembered for? The people um, who I've interacted with, who I've interfaced with, who've touched my life, and whose lives I've touched. Mm. Well said. Yeah, I, I would I would um, agree. I would say, you know, that I that I was seeking to follow Jesus. That's what I'd like to be remembered for. Y'all are insanely cool, man. Um, CoBuildKC.com, emerging-builders.org. Yes. Okay. Where else can where else could should people snoop send Facebook? Their checks. Fa- send oh, your checks. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Um, Facebook, it. Instagram. We don't tweet. Um, we're not that cool yet. Not yet. Maybe if we contract out to Guild. Um, or if Guild has someone that wants to help me. Oh, dang. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Dang. Yeah. Throwing Absolutely. down the gauntlet. Um, Starting to act like you, Tate. <laughs> <laughs> Tate does not leave a meeting without asking for something. As he should. He just doesn't. So it's yeah. rubbed off. Yeah. 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 And I, I would just, I would, I would put that out to your listeners, you know, if, uh, you know, if they're looking for somebody to do work for them, construction related work contact co-build and then if they are looking for outlets um creative sustainable charity um we obviously believe in emerging emerging builders um and so donating there helping us grow that are you trying to get in front like do you are you trying to get in front of lumber yards service like okay who's practically are you guys trying to like sit with lumber one (laughs) we're we're making that intro yes exactly um you know, one of the, the areas we really want to develop are churches, church relationships. Yeah, yeah smart. Um, because, you know, you hit a number of people there. And I was going to say just short, you know, there used to be this huge deal where people would donate cars to people, and that's mm. kind of dried up. But that's a need mm. that we have. The vehicles for your for our team pe- to get absolutely. to and from a site. Yeah, absolutely. that makes sense. Um, that, and then um, uh, we, we want to talk to uh I suck at a lot of things. There are some things I'm good at, like I am good at talking and running my mouth and uh, engaging folks. Mm. But like the practical things mm. of um, like marketing, verbally I can, mm. written material. Mm. So someone that would be really willing to help us with mm. that. Um, social media, mm. I suck at that. Try to get my kid to do it. Um, <laughs> but she's running her own three or four pages, so she can't help me. Uh, for me, so that... Uh, and then, like Tate said, uh, one of the things with Habitat that was very successful was getting volunteers on site. So trying to find some uh, maybe retired uh, contractors that want to come help teach. 
uh, and work on site with uh, our people. That would be huge. We need a plumber mm. uh, because we don't have anyone specifically to teach that. Um, we know some of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be beautiful. And then we're trying to develop on the Cobalt side at least three uh, subs in each of the main thingy-wops. Yeah, the thing of wops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Each one of the trades. Yeah, each one of the trades. There you go. Um, Yeah, and then I would just I I would say the people I'm trying to get in front of right now because I do believe that co build can become an engine of sustainability for emerging builders. um, Is people who are already outsourcing hiring others to do construction work for them at a large scale. Mm. um, I would very much like to be at the table with those people who are thinking about how could they include co-build if they're spending the money already, spend it with us. Um, um, and so that's, that's what I would put out there. Um, is, is people who are making decisions about construction right now, call co-build, um, and, and let us, let us be at the table, um, for those conversations. That's awesome. Yeah. Last question I just thought of, I want to hear your answers though. Um, what in the last year, what's your favorite, construction project you've been a part of like client uh, work yeah that you guys have done you know what for me it's hard to pick a favorite i get that oh, they're all no good. i would say uh split log coffee um mm. the one on fifth and olive because i remember um coming in there and and traipsing on dirt and there were no stairs so specifically trying to get down something that needed two stairs and i could not and so jumping and then having to get back up and having two gentlemen try to assist me. Um, but there's a picture of uh, my daughter doing the tile uh, in there that we were just looking at the other day. And we have quite a few of our meetings there, but I was in there with her the other day. And she was looking around saying, you know, I remember making those shells with tape. I remember we had to stain so that. Cool. And she's like, I remember the dirt, Mom. And I'm like, for me, it'll be forever for her, it was a turning point for her, which mm. was a turning point for me. So that's always going to be my favorite. That's awesome. Yeah, mine was a, a, a recent project, and we're still actually underway. Um, but it was the first time where we had a team of our emerging builders run it solo. Um, so mm. there were no skilled tradespeople involved at all. It was they were on site managing the schedule, managing the, the themselves, um, and it, to watch it empower them um, was was super super cool, um, and just to realize like okay there is this is sustainable down the road. Yeah. This team will grow and develop and mature, and they will be running their own sites soon. Um, so that was that was that's awesome. My most favorite. You guys are terrific. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it.